again. Uh, really glad you were here this morning for our last uh, parental guidance, please, sermon series. Um, if you don't know me already, my name is Nikki Gage. I serve as the director of children's ministries here. And uh, the last three weeks, David has been leading us through these biblical principles and ideas of what the Bible has to say about parenting. We've looked at um, what it says and what it doesn't say, uh, looked at this idea of having an authentic relationship with our children so that we can have those real authentic conversations with them, like the talks. Um, and last week, he talked about um, this balance between uh, our children needing discipline and our children needing grace. And today, I'm honored to share with you this message that is entitled, It's Okay to Fail at Parenting. David will be back in the pulpit next week. He's going to start a new sermon series, which is called This Is Us. And that is a visioning series that's going to look at who we are as Christians, it's going to look at who we are as a church, and where God is calling us to be. So, um, as I mentioned, um, I serve as the Director of Children's Ministries here. I joined the staff about a year after my family and I started coming to Redeemer. When we came, it was a couple weeks before launch. There was still sawdust on the floor, and the stage didn't look anything nearly as carpeted as it is now. Um, and we really found a place that we could call home. We found people who were real and authentic. We felt seen, not in that weird stalkerish way, but in a way that made us feel comfortable and um, made us want to continue to come week after week. And so... Uh, Jacob and I have been married, my husband, for seven and a half years. Um, we count the halves just as much as the holes because those are real victories some years. And we have two children. Joshua is in kindergarten at Silver Lake, and uh, our daughter Julianne is in the three-year-old Methodist children's program here at Redeemer. Um, this is not my normal gig on a Sunday morning. I'm much more accustomed to an audience of children. You guys are being very still and patient. Thank you very much for that. Um, any moment, feel free to pick your nose, try to find some unidentified flying object around in the room. Men, I expect you not to sit still in your chair. Ladies, just the entire time, it won't distract me at all. And if you feel so inclined, just rip your skirt right over your head, and I'll be right at home. <laughs> uh, so with that, I would like to open up in a word of prayer. Great and wonderful God, Lord, I thank you for this incredible privilege to gather together corporately um, in freedom to open your word, God, to celebrate who you are and this incredible calling to be um, invited into this parenting journey, Lord. Um, I pray that you would just let our ears hear what you want to hear, Lord, be my mouthpiece as I speak, Lord, be my nerves as I get anxious, help me to slow my tongue down, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that as I speak, you would increase fully, Lord, and that I would decrease. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I figure you know you're really successful in ministry when your pastor comes to you and <laughs> asks you to lead a message on faith and mission of the very ministry that you work to support here at the church. Um, but I really think that David asked me to share this message um, because he knows that it does so much more internal work for the person delivering than it does for the recipient. It's kind of like going on a short-term mission trip. If you've ever gone, you know that you spend countless months and even years sometimes preparing and practicing, um, praying and packing and doing all of these things to get ready to go and change the lives of the people you're going to serve. But when you come home, the person that's really impacted is you. Your life has changed so much more than you could ever dream of changing the lives of the people you're going to serve. And that's what the process has been like for me. It has really pressed me into God's word and showed me some things that have taught me um, 
about myself as a parent and help me to see this in a whole new way. So I'm really excited to share those with you today. But this parenting journey began a lot longer for me um, ago. You see, as a teenager, I um, became this very calculated, planned person. I decided that I did not like turmoil and change and that I was going to take control of my life. I've heard many of you share that you had similar experiences as children. And so I began, as every good planner does, a list. A list of reasons why I was not going to have children. And I added to this list, sometimes daily, sometimes once a month or so, and it was a really hot list. It pointed out all of my parents' failures in parenting, of which I have learned so much grace and mercy for in my own parenting journey, and all of God's bad ideas about the entire pregnancy and childbirth and family experience. But at the core of this list, and deep beyond my desire to be in control, was my fear. So I tell you my story today just to show you the miraculous change that Jesus has done in my life. So 12 years after I began this glorious list that I no longer have, but I really wish that I did. Um, and after a lot of healing and restoration and time spent in an intimate relationship with our Savior, I found myself somewhere that I never imagined to be possible. I was married to a wonderful partner in living out God's mission for us here on earth and expecting our first child. And I was scared to death and determined that I was going to fail because that's how I approach all new adventures in my life. But I uh, had a determined faith that was stronger than that. And it pressed me into believing in the goodness of God and it dove me into scripture and prayer daily. As a matter of fact, I found this book and I wanted to share it with you today. If you are expecting or you know someone is, it's called Praying Through Your Pregnancy. And every single day I got up and I had coffee with Jesus. Don't knock the caffeine while you're pregnant. It's necessary. Um, and uh, just learn more about who God was, who he was calling me to be as a mother, who he was calling our family to be and every sweet little intricate detail that God works in the miracles of forming a child in the mother's womb. And now, that teenage know-it-all has two children and the privilege of getting to see all of your lives as you adventure through parenting our little gifts from God. It's the Bible, actually, that first calls them our gifts. In fact, it calls them our reward. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 says this, Our sons are a heritage from the Lord. Our children are a reward from him. And when the text says reward, here's a little bit more about what that means. For a better definition, sometimes in scripture, we can dive into the original language that the Bible was written in. And since this is Psalms, it was originally written in Hebrew. I do that sometimes because as complicated as the English language can be, sometimes it just doesn't do these words justice as to what they were intended to be. So the Hebrew word for this word is natala. Natala. Not to be confused with T'Challa from Black Panther because that was David at the movie series last summer. So try to stay with me here. T'Challa translates literally as a property or possession. So our children running around, let's humor me with a Bob Ross mental picture here. And let's think of them as our literal property. There's mine. Draw some fluffy clouds, whatever you want. Just remember, there are no mistakes. It's happy accidents. Some of you are some really wealthy landowners, and you're responsible for this property, right? The way that it looks has bearing on your image. That's why we only post pretty happy pictures, right? And what are we going to choose to do with this property? Are we going to landscape it, farm it, 
develop it, sell it for profit. You can't really do that. <laughs> my family lives in suburban Pearland, and so my mind immediately goes to what can I do with this property? What will my overpaid HOA allow me to do with my property? After all, it's mine. I paid for it with my hard-earned time and money. It's my blessing, my heritage, my reward. But then I hear this key theme of my, my, my. And on one hand, yes, to the autonomous self-governance that that seems to invite. And on the other, this really scary feeling that I and my husband are solely responsible for the outcome of these little properties who are influenced so much by the world around them. Not to mention, as adorable as they are, they have this inborn natural propensity to go against authority and obedience since birth. So it sounds like we're set up for failure. And David mentioned in his first sermon in the series that the Bible doesn't really give us an overabundance of guidance here. So are we just doomed to fail? My answer for you today is yes. If you're seeing it with that lens. If you're parenting today with the idea that you are solely responsible for the outcome of these children, and you're living in this idea that you they are yours, and you're free to parent them essentially however you want, then yes, my friends, you're headed for an uphill climb with a cliff of failure directly in sight. And I've been there. Already in my short six years of parenting, I've taken that entire weight, threw it on my shoulders, and tried to lug it around for a little while. But it wasn't very long until Jacob and I were fighting about everything. I felt like I was drowning, and I knew this was not the way of my Jesus. Because his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. So in desperately seeking God's plan for parenting, and a lot of through this process, I've come to a few things that have clarified and freed me as a parent. And I'm really excited to share them with you today. In hopes that you too will have a fresh and invigorating perspective on parenting and some parts of a roadmap that will lead you to success rather than failure. I call these my treasures because sometimes I revert back to my childhood and I like to be an adventurer and I like to see this life with God as an adventure and every once in a while I find treasure. These little truths from God's word that really change or mold me into a different person and guide me a little bit more into the person that he's calling me to be. The first treasure that I want to share with you today is that I do not think that God intends for us to be owners of our children. We're going to look in his word at the concept of an ambassador. Merriam-Webster defines ambassador as an authorized representative or messenger. Basically, we are someone trusted to represent someone else. So hold on to that and look a little bit deeper. If you brought your Bibles today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you don't have your Bible today, underneath the seat rack right in front of you, there is a black hardcover Bible there. We're on page 138. If you do not have a Bible, take that one home, and that is our gift to you today. Here Paul is writing to the people of Corinth. Now these are people who are trying to follow Christ, but get a little bit off course. Some scholars have even referred to it as crazy Corinth. It was kind of known as the Las Vegas of Greece. He's not writing to a seminary class of aspiring pastors that are getting ready for graduation. He's writing to all of us Christians, no matter our occupation, our socioeconomic status. This message is meant for everyone, every time. So look with me in chapter 5, starting verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 
I love the way the New King James Version actually states it. It says, all things have become new. And if you've experienced that, your heart is leaping for joy right now because you know the truth, that God makes us new. Verse 18 continues on. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. That's the good part of the Great Commission, right? But verse 20 is where I really want to emphasize. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You'll remember from elementary English that therefore is there for a reason. We are God's ambassadors because he has committed us this, rec this message of reconciliation, this ministry to go and be a trusted representative of Christ. And you're probably wondering why on earth I picked this passage other than the fact that David asked me to choose it and what it means to be reconciled to God. I'm certain this last line has some evangelical application, but Paul is also saying this to implore believers and recapture the hearts of God, to serve God alone. And I think this verse is so much more than parenting, but it really provides us some invaluable insight in leading our children, that we are not owners of them, we are not leading them to be who and what we want them to be, but we are ambassadors of Christ, and we are called to lead and love them to be the person that God has created them to be. We're not solely responsible for them, but rather we are responsible for pointing them to the one who wants to work everything for their good and for his glory. Let's flesh this out a little bit. Um, with Jacob's permission, I'm going to share with you, with you a story about our family's Easter experience this most recent Easter. Um, each morning, I tend to get here very early to make sure everything's ready. There's usually a lot of people. We do something different over in children's ministry on those days. So Jacob had a big responsibility. Um, there's usually an Easter dress involved and some hair fixing with our daughter. You dads know how stressful that can be. And you moms know how well that can turn out. And so, after having, we'll call it an ownership parenting type of morning, especially with our son Joshua, who can be very independent, Jacob showed up, and I could tell during worship that he was just really distracted, that his heart wasn't there, and that something was bothering him. He told me that he kept wondering, um, you know, why can't Joshua just get it together? Why can't you just do what I say? Why can't you just perform the way that I want you to perform? Why can't you just fill in the blank, right? We've all been there. We've all had those moments with our parents, like with our kids. Why can't you just get in the car faster? Why can't you just put your own shoes on? Um, I could go on for that for like a long time. Um, but God spoke to Jacob that morning. God's voice pierced the music, and he asked Jacob, son, is that how I've loved you? And Jacob said his heart immediately changed. And that is what being an ambassador is all about. It's about loving our children the way that God has loved us. I ask you this morning, how has God loved you? And how are you showing that love to your children? Paul goes on to continue in 2 Corinthians, and he calls the people of Corinth his co-workers. He's writing here and yearning really for the Corinthians to understand that difficulty and endurance through Christ-like behavior is made possible only by the grace of God. That sounds like a lot like parenting to me. And these qualities are the greatest display of God's presence 
and power and glory in a fallen world. We parents are God's co-workers in raising these children. We're not alone and meant to bear the burden of fear and difficulty, but we are free to follow the Spirit's lead and charge into who they are meant to be to reveal in their very own way the glory of their Creator and Savior. One of the most beneficial tools and really the inspiration for this message, and David has shared multiple times, is this book, Parenting, by an author named Paul David Scripps. Uh, the subtitle is actually 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. Cannot recommend it enough. I would loan you mine, but most of it is highlighted. Uh, in this book, Paul talks about um, being an ambassador, and he says this. We are called to represent as God's ambassadors in the lives of our children. We're not mad at them because they're lost and they need our help. We don't push their lostness in their faces. We don't remind them how much more righteous we are than they are and that we would never have thought of doing and saying the things that they do and say. No, we parent with mercy and with grace. We live with them with patient hearts, and we celebrate every single time they confess or choose to do what is right. For most of us, this ownership parenting and ambassadorial parenting really represents the daily battle that's fought on the turf of our hearts. We're constantly torn between what we want and what God wants. Sin makes us all more natural owners than ambassadors. And the thing that gets in the way of our ambassadorial parenting is us. But humbly confessing that to God and to our children is the first step to our ambassadorship. So I had to ask myself, what else is working against me besides my own heart? That's my children's hearts. This natural propensity of authority and self-sufficiency in their own lives, just as you and I want to be in control and independent. Parents, we're destined to fail when we lead sinners in the same sin. And contrary to worldly belief, we're not in charge of our own bodies. We are not designed for self-sufficiency. But these two things, this self-sufficiency and desire for control, are going to form some of the biggest battles in our children. My three-year-old fights me about eating her vegetables. But the battle isn't really about eating her vegetables. It's about the belief in her mind that she is in control of her own body. Now, she couldn't articulate that, and she herself doesn't even have a clue what's going on there. But at the core of everything, the battle is about her desire for control. She wants control of her own little tiny body. We all do. In fact, if you know Julianne, you'll hear her say, this is my body, and these are my choices. And I taught her that. But I will also teach her and have that there is a distinct line between asserting our rights about who controls and touches and influences our bodies and wholly submitting to the authority of our Creator. After all, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. We are not our own. We've been bought at a price. Paul says that in his first letter to the Corinthians. The greater battle really is not about, with Julianne, about my desire for her to eat her vegetables. It's about leading her to know her creator and willfully and joyfully submitting to his best design for her body, mind, and soul. And then there's this craving that they have for self-sufficiency. And any parent who has a toddler knows that the struggle is real when it comes to their independence. 
And I think I can remember a teenage girl who gave her mama a run for her money when it came to wanting to be in control of my own life. As much as we want them to do things on their own, we have to yield. Focus on leading them to ultimately know that no one is capable of independence. And we have to model that for them in our own lives, too. We're not all sufficient. If you've got your Bible open to 2 Corinthians still, flip over to chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 9. Paul says here, but he, referring to God, he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's an understanding Christ, our need for Christ and the power of the Spirit in our lives that we are leading our children to understand something that you know will save them so much unnecessary burden and struggle. Now, I don't think that that will help a whole lot in allowing you the endurance to help them learn to tie their shoes or drive in the city of Houston. If you're in that stage, I'm praying for you. But I do know that you're leaning into the sufficiency of God to help you will. The last treasure I want to share with you today, and one that I hope will free you in a whole new way, is that we are set for failure when we try to let our children determine our identity. I know this is where I struggle the most, as much as I try not to. Those that were here last week at 8.30 got to see a little glimpse of that. Um, as we presented our third and fourth graders with Bibles, we invited them forward. I stood on the, the floor right there, and my five-year-old decided to have a circus behind me, his own personal circus. I've talked to people who were in that service, and they assured me that it was not that big of a deal. But in my mind, there were arms flailing. I'm pretty sure he laid down on the stage at one time. And you could hear it in my voice. I was getting more and more anxious. I forgot what I was supposed to say. It was distracting. As soon as the children were dismissed, they went that way. Joshua and I went that way. Um, and as I proceeded to explain to him how it's inappropriate to behave like that when any adult, much less your mother, is speaking in front of a group of people, his little blue eyes looked at me and said, but Mom, it's hard to follow the rules all the time. And I could relate. It is hard to follow the rules all the time. But it's also really hard to get up in front of a group of people when your kid is acting like a maniac behind you. And as I reprimanded him, my heart was changed. And I could hear God telling me, was what he did really that big of a deal? Or were you just really embarrassed? But you got to see my parenting struggles right here in front. It's that our children's ultimate decisions and choices are not really a direct reflection on our parenting. Praise the Lord. Although I do firmly believe that we without a doubt have the greatest influence on their lives. One pastor said this, and it's repeated in my home often. Not everything that your children do and act comes from you. Uh, I've never bitten my wife and stolen the remote out of her hands, and yet my children make it a regular practice every day. He also said this, where we seek our identity, we will worship. And where we worship, we idolize. And where we idolize, we will demonize. Say that one more time. Where we seek our identity, we worship. And where we worship, we idolize. 
and where we idolize, we demonize. In Paul David Tripp's book, he shares a story about a mother and a son who sought his counseling on their relationship. The son had basically checked out of life, no longer wanted anything to do with anything that he was involved in or having a relationship with his mom. I think that's a fear that we all share, is losing that relationship with our children. So I paid extra attention to this story. As the mother approached Tripp, she wanted him to fix her son, right? Fix him into the person that she wanted him to be. But Tripp goes on to address this as her identity amnesia. She wanted him to lead the life that she wanted by forcing him into every single extracurricular activity and well-roundedness mold in a good heart to prepare him for a place where he has a lot of opportunity and to show him the world in front of him. And he obliged for most of his life. But at the age of 15, he flat out broke. He quit everything. And Tripp says this about that instance. When we look to our children to give us what we already have in Jesus, we drive them to succeed, not simply because we know what's best for them, but we need their success to feel good about ourselves and to have a reason to get up in the morning and continue. I had to let that one soak in. There's a lot of times where I wake up in the morning to get my family ready to portray an image that I want the world to see, not necessarily taking that moment to yield to who Christ wants us to be that day. We have to lead our children to know that their choices have a direct reflection on them and who they are being called as to be an ambassador for. And I've learned that parenting is a miserable place to look for your identity since every parent parents sinners. And another sinner is never a good place to measure yourself against. Instead, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And let's lead them to become ambassadors of him as well. I'll leave this with you today. Listen to this. This is some of my favorite words out of that book that Paul David Tripp shared. Because God loves you, he's not left you in your own wisdom and strength and resources. He will never leave you nor forsake you in your parenting struggles, and he has connected you to things that are vastly bigger than you. Because he loves you, he not only forgives you, but gives you the grace to do better. He works daily to grow and change you so that you are better able to do what he has called you to do. He works to satisfy your heart and fill you with a joy that does not depend on your circumstances. He doesn't just make promises to you. He is present with you in all of his glory so that you can have a peace of heart and purpose and direction and courage to face your parenting day today and every day. You're okay to fail, parents. We are okay to fail, even on the days where we absolutely blow it. Because any time that we choose to model our humility and forgiveness and reconciliation with our children, and we take those failures to the cross of the one who gave his life for us, we show our children that they have a need for a personal relationship with him as well. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for all that you've shown me. And um, Lord, I pray that this truth would resonate, that we would be changed and that our children would be changed to become ambassadors of you, Lord, representing you well in a world that so desperately needs your light and truth. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen.